Oh, well, good morning, everybody. I am sorry that I have neither cool camp shirt or banana button-up, um, and I am definitely not going to be as funny as those students, but nonetheless, I am glad to be here with you this morning. My name is Ty Hall. I'm the worship pastor here at FCC, uh, and I got to say, it is an interesting uh, ask when you are asked to teach in the Preacher's Choice series, because it's just a blank slate. Like, I just get to choose? He's, he's just going to let me walk up here and choose? There's no direction? That's so much freedom. That's so much open space. There's almost a sense of paralysis that comes with that, trying to pick what I should talk about. Because if you know me, you know I love to talk. Probably too much. I love having conversations that talk for, that, that go on for on and on and on, but a lot of times my conversations end up with a, well, we solved nothing, but we had a good conversation. Uh, and that's kind of where we're going to land today. Of, I'm not necessarily going to try and solve anything. I just kind of want to observe something with you all today. And uh, my preacher's choice sermon is going to be about this what we're doing right now. Why do we gather together? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Why do we sing songs? And why are 90% of those songs in the soft rock genre? <laughs> Come on, let's get some banjo back in worship. I'm just kidding. Um, maybe some banjo one day. But does any of what we're doing matter? Does anything uh, that we're doing come from scripture? What are we called to in the first place? And as the worship pastor, I spend a lot of time thinking through these questions. One of my primary responsibilities here at FCC is to make sure that these gatherings are organized, that they're put together, that they're scheduled. Uh, that involves weekly meetings with other staff members to make sure all the elements are filled in and make sense, make sure the volunteers are scheduled for those Sundays, including the band that leads us in singing every week, and also overseeing a lot of the elements that happen here on Sunday morning. But what are those elements? What do we do here on Sundays? And if you've attended FCC for a while, you might notice that there are a few things that pop up weekly. We sing worship music songs together. We have a ministry highlight section like we just had with Alan and our students. We have community questions where we talk to each other, get to know the people around us. We have teaching and we have prayer. And you might also see some less frequent but still regular practices of communion once a month and also baptism. And then there's outside of this program time, on Sunday mornings, we have a time of community out in the atrium over coffee and donuts. And those coffee and donuts are important because at least for me, I know my conversation tends to be better when it's over a good cup of coffee or a nice donut. <laughs> so why do we do these things so regularly? Why do they happen? Why are these the pieces that exist consistently? Well, in order to see why we do these things, let's take a look at what we're called to as the church. As followers of Jesus across the globe, what does the word of God call us to practice regularly? There's a few places that you can jump to in the Bible to find some of this information. We're going to stick to the book of Colossians for the most part. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church in the city of Colossae. And he's, uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 for the most part. But in chapter 2, Paul has actually given the believers an encouragement. He said, you guys have freedom from human rules. Now, he's not calling the Colossians to be anarchists. 
That's not what he's calling them to. But he's encouraging them to focus first and foremost on Christ. He wants them to see that the earthly practices that we put in place can sometimes get in the way of becoming more like Jesus. So Paul gives them some instructions in chapter 3 on how to live as the followers of Jesus. What are the actually important bits that we should be seeing regularly? He warns them against common temptations like greed and impurity and idolatry, and all of those seem like, yeah, Paul, those are pretty common. We can try to avoid those. But then he breaks a cultural barrier. You see, in Colossians 3, verse 11, he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcises or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's making a point to encourage unity among believers. It does not matter what your religious background is, where you come from, what your history is, what country you're from, or your economic status that you currently have. Being a follower of Jesus is the identifier for the church. That's what we should be looking out for. He calls the Colossians, and by extension, the rest of the church to have compassion for one another, to be patient with one another, to love one another. This is going beyond, hey, it would be great if you guys could get along. This is asking the church to be a family. And I think the message sent to the Colossians back then is still sent to us today. He's calling us to unity. But what does that actually mean for us? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, luckily, Paul goes on and he gives us uh, some instructions a little later in the same chapter. In verses 15 through 17, he says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We get some pretty clear directions here. Be thankful, dwell in the message of Christ, teach, admonish, do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Be thankful, give thanks. So if we're looking for direction on this, Colossians 3 gives us some clear direction on what to do on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning uh, does not, uh, oh, sorry, I lost my place. Um, Sunday morning before and after this program time, we gather together. We eat donuts, we drink coffee, we laugh, we pray, we serve together. That's the unity that Paul's talking about in verse 11. Then going point by point kind of in verses 15 through 17, be thankful. The first question of our community time questions every week is what are you thankful for? We want to celebrate the blessing that God has given each and every one of us in our lives. And we want to celebrate not just individually, but celebrate as a community. We want to celebrate those with each other. The next point, teach and admonish. First up, admonish is just a fancy way to say to advise or to warn against. And this happens in our service during this time, right now. When someone, a teacher or a preacher, jumps up on stage and uh, speaks from the scriptures like this. But Paul also gives a specific instruction on teaching and admonishing and asks the church to do so through psalms, hymns, and th songs of the Spirit, through music. 
He asks the church to sing together, to sing to one another. And music has actually been a pretty big part of church history from almost the very beginning of the Bible. We see music as early as Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And one of the largest books of the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. Each chapter is a different song written in response to God. Some of them are celebratory, some of them are mournful, some of them tell stories, and some of them are kind of rambly, unorganized, singer-songwriter type vibes. But all of these point to God in some way. Music was important to the ancient Israelites and their understanding of God. And a lot of these psalms would have been known by the Jewish members of the early church. But why? Why is music so important? Well, according to Paul, the reason that music is important is because the message of Christ dwells in us richly through these songs. The power of music on our brains is kind of crazy. I can remember songs that I would listen to growing up almost word for word. The late 90s and early 2000s have a death grip on my mental musical archive. Because if you start playing some early Rascal Flats or Phil Vassar or Stephen Curtis Chapman, nine times out of ten, I can still sing every single word. And I bet that we all have one or two of those songs, right? If I start playing music to a Journey song, some of y'all will know exactly where it's going, right? Any Journey fans? <laughs> there we go, there we go. So that's what I'm saying. There is something about music that sticks with us. There are even a few videos and testimonies floating around the internet of music being helpful for elderly patients with dementia and Alzheimer's, helping them regain their memory, regain a piece of them even for a brief moment and connect to loved ones through music. There's something about song that sticks with us. So maybe that's why Paul encourages the church to sing together, to really get the message of Jesus stuck in our brains. And that's kind of one of the reasons that we still sing together on Sunday mornings. If you really step back and think about it, singing together is a weird practice in our modern world today. I like to sing and I've been trained to do so. And really, outside of Sunday morning, the only time where I can think I sing with other people regularly is on like a long car trip. <laughs> I don't really sing with other people outside of those two instances. But the reason we sing together is because we are learning together. When I'm up here leading worship, I try to do my best to not just focus on the music in front of me. I try to look out at the congregation and connect with people because I'm singing the truths about who God is to the church, and the church is singing them back to me. Here are some of the lyrics that we sing on a regular basis here at FCC. There's a song called Sea of Victory that the first verse starts like this. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. That song sounds a lot like the start of uh, Isaiah 54, verse 17. It says, no weapon forged against you shall prevail. We're singing scripture. Another song, King of Kings. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. 
This first verse of the song gives an overview of the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus. And in fact, the whole song is a reminder of who God is, who we are, and what Jesus has done for us. Another song called No Longer Slaves just repeats this one line over and over in the chorus. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Being free from the slavery of sin and being adopted into the family of God is seen throughout the Bible. It's pretty clearly seen in parts of Galatians 4 and parts of Romans 8. And these are just a few examples. The songs we sing are teaching us. We are learning through singing. But we also sing these songs to praise God. We sing these songs to praise who he is, what he's done. Psalm 95 is a good example of this. It starts out with verses 1 and 2. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And the rest of the psalm just keeps going, praising God. So, all of this amounts to we meet together in unity. We teach each other and learn from each other through words and through songs. And we show thanks and praise God. Seems like good reasons to gather together, right? Well, there's a little bit of an interesting disconnect between the context that Paul is writing to and the context that we exist in today. You see, the book of Colossians is a letter to a church in a city of Colossae. And Paul writes a few of these letters to a few letters uh, to a few other churches in and around the Mediterranean area. But when he's writing these letters to churches, it's not churches like this. These were not churches that gathered together in auditoriums. These are churches that gather together in houses. They're smaller. There are 15, maybe 20 people. And this was the model that community was made in in the ancient uh, Israelite uh, context. And even if we think of a modern-day house church, it's still not quite the same as the New Testament context. Churches did meet in privately owned homes, but this isn't a house that uh, hosts a nuclear family structure. Uh, No, this is extended family housing. This is you, your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, not to mention any servants that are in the house. And then people from the outside start to get folded into these house churches. They didn't meet like this, and they actually uh, met in these banquet halls called triclinniums, which is a Greek word. Basically, it's a Roman architectural staple that looks like this. It's like one of those, it's like a three-sided structure, if you will, um, where they were designed for meals and conversation. These rooms were specifically designed to be perfect for that. And so churches would meet, and that was what they would do. They would have a meal together. The Lord's Supper communion was actually supper. It was a full meal that was shared, and that would be done in remembrance of what Jesus has done and the sacrifice that he made, and to celebrate the new life found in him. Plus, doesn't that just look kind of comfortable? Like, you can just kind of, like, lounge in and have a discussion and eat a grape, and that's church. That's what they did. So the question then becomes, how did we get from there to here? How did we go from three-sided rooms built for discussion to two-sided rooms built for lectures? Well, 
we have a wonderful friend to thank for that. His name is Emperor Constantine the Great. He was a Roman emperor in the 300s AD, and he became a Christian in the later half of his life. Uh, He actually is heralded as the first Christian emperor of the Roman Empire, and he made some changes with this faith of his. First and foremost, he issued the, the Edict of Milan, which made Christianity not only legal, he made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. So after years of persecution of the church, all of a sudden, everyone wants to be Christian because it's official. Constantine sets up a lot of important things that happen in church history or are actually crucial to some of that history, uh, like councils that would lead to foundational creeds of the Christian faith. But the one thing that we actually want to look at with Constantine today is what he physically built. When Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome, that meant that a lot of new Christians popped up overnight. And all of a sudden, these secret house churches that have been meeting are not going to cut it. So what do we do? Well, we need something where a small select group of people can talk to a large group of people all at once. Hmm, what could we do? What could we do? Where do we see something that talks to a lot of people all at once? And Constantine goes, I know, the theater. And so that's where he gets his inspiration for these structures called basilicas, which the basilica is the earliest version of the church building. And in fact, if you look at that left picture, if you just put a guitar and some drums and coffee in there, it actually starts to look a little familiar, maybe a little too familiar. (laughs) But this is what Constantine does. He builds these basilicas, and this becomes the place where the church meets, Now, we could talk a lot about why the church moved this way, what Constantine's motives might actually have been for this change, and what the actual practice is. Yeah, there you go. See, it makes sense now. (laughs) But unfortunately, we don't really have time to dig into Constantine's mind too much, and really, that's not the point of my sermon today. But I do want to pause right here at this transition. Because the life in community that comes hand in hand with following Jesus changed drastically because of this shift. All of a sudden, for church, you weren't going to a friend's house to have a meal and discuss ideas. You were going to a public town hall. You, your voice wasn't heard as equally as others. You were listening to a small select group of people in a large silent crowd. Christians weren't hiding for fear of persecution anymore. Everyone was claiming to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that either side of this transition is good or bad, but I want to see it for what it is. Like I said before, a big part of my job revolves around this Sunday morning gathering. And as it stands right now, I owe a large part of my job to Emperor Constantine. Because without this transition, the church probably looks a lot different. And here's why I bring up all this church history in the first place. The important parts of meeting together that Paul was talking about, unity, gratitude, teaching, singing, letting the message of Christ dwell in us, those were all happening before Constantine ever hit the scene. 
All these things were happening before the church looked even close to what it looks like right now. So what? What are we doing here? Is this what we should be doing? (laughs) I want to be clear. I'm not saying that Sunday morning, the way it exists right now, is bad. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that gathering together like we do on Sunday morning is bad at all. What I am saying is that the Western church as a whole might have put too much emphasis on Sunday mornings and the way that we gather. Here at FCC, we've been making an intentional effort to be a missional church to go outside of these four walls, be in our community. It's like Alan said with Discipleship Pathway. Faith is not a switch that you can turn on and off. Oh, I'm, I'm being faithful. It's Sunday morning. Okay, it's Monday. Now I'm going back to work, and that part of me is gone. We're acting like we, we're, we're trying to act like Jesus would in our community. The whole point of Discipleship Pathway is seeing what God is doing all around us, and prayerfully being present in those spaces. What does it look like to be the body of Christ in your school? What does it look like to be the body of Christ at your job, to your neighbors, in your neighborhood, in your extended family? What does it look like to be the body of Christ to each other outside of this gathering? I actually got to experience that last one in a tiny little way firsthand recently. Last month, uh, I was able to go back and visit my family and friends in Illinois, and I was incredibly glad to do so. I'm really close with my family, and it's hard to be away from them, uh, especially this far away, Uh, and I had a great time being in Illinois for those days. Lots of laughter, lots of Chicago pizza, all around good times, and I did get engaged to my wonderful fiance, Jesse. She is uh, watching online, and I'm sure she's loving all the attention. (laughs) Needless to say, though, it's a pretty good trip. (laughs) It was a really good trip, which made it really hard to leave. (laughs) Being this far away from my family is hard. I've experienced that for the last year. Being this far away from the person you're going to marry is not fun. Zoom dates help and things like that are helpful, but man, I miss being next to her. I miss being in person. And in between the moments of fun and my sleep-deprived plane travel back, I was kind of upset with God because I was like, man, why has this got to be this way? Why can't I just have everyone I love, California weather, and Chicago deep dish pizza all in the same place? I don't think like that. That's not too much to ask. And in Illinois, I kept having these moments of melancholy and just feeling sort of down because I knew I was eventually going to have to separate from these people I cared so much about. But as I got back in California and settled into regular rhythms, the thought that kept coming back into my head was, man, it's good to be back. And I was surprised by that a little bit because I was worried that I was going to bring that sort of down feeling with me back home. But... I realized the reason that I kept saying, man, it's good to be back, is because of the family that God has given me here at FCC. The week I got back from Illinois, I didn't go a day without hanging out with someone from the church, which might seem like an introvert's worst nightmare, 
but for me was so needed and so helpful and appreciated. The community that I got to experience that week and continue to experience is the biggest way the church has shown up for me in this season of life. It's not that I don't love Sunday mornings. I really do. But it's the meals, the laughs, the deep conversations that happen Monday through Saturday that have really been impactful. It's the prayer on Tuesday. It's the coffee on Thursday. It's everything in between. And then Sunday becomes this wonderful place where I get to recharge and refill with everyone here. And then the community continues Monday through Saturday. And there are other ways to be the church outside of Sunday, not just with each other here in this room. What does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community? Our ministry highlight section highlighted two excellent ways to do that. We had the diaper drive yesterday, so next month we will have another diaper drive. You can, uh, br- you can start donating diapers. You can start donating toys and other things, it sounds like. I'm going to say talk to Ruth about that because she is the master of that. Um, but also, this Sunday, today, right now, at the uh, Compassion Network table, we have bright yellow uh, compassion cards. These cards have tangible needs for people in our community. There are things like grocery gift cards for single mothers that need to be met. These needs have to be met. And so I encourage you, on your way out uh, this morning, grab one of those. Serve someone in need in our community. At FCC, we've been using the analogy of a tree to describe our lives as followers of Jesus. There are things that are absolutely necessary for our faith. These are the roots of the tree. We then have the trunk of the tree, and these are ways we see those foundational beliefs clearly lived out. Here at FCC, we have four pillars that we view as the trunk of the tree. We have loving community, authentic worship, radical discipleship, and dangerous justice and mercy. And if you want to know more about those four values, we actually did a series on them a few months ago called Identity. It's on our YouTube channel, Fremont.Church. Look for the FCC circle. And then to round out our tree analogy, we have the branches of the tree. These are things that grow out of those four values. And honestly, those are the things that are probably the most visible from the outside looking in. Any regular ministry that you hear uh, or see around FCC is a branch. My question for everyone here with this analogy is, where does Sunday morning go on the tree? Is Is gathering together on Sunday morning so foundational to our faith that it's part of the roots? Is it so crucial to our faith that we consider it part of the trunk of the tree and almost vital to the life of the church? Or is it a branch, something that grows from the values of our faith and the ways we live it out, but also something that needs to be pruned from time to time for the health of the tree? For me, I'd say it's a branch. It's definitely an important branch for sure, but it's something that is an outpouring of our faith and of our personal relationship with Jesus and the way that we live that out in community. And I want to clearly say, as the guy responsible for the gatherings on Sunday morning, I do think it's a good branch. It's a good thing. All of those directions from Paul that we've been talking about, those happen here on Sunday mornings. But if we view Sundays as part of the trunk or part of the roots, are we only followers of Jesus on Sunday morning? I think that's a danger 
if we value Sunday morning too highly. At the beginning of my teaching, I mentioned that in Colossians 2, Paul gives the church in Colossae freedom to disregard human rules. And in that passage, he's mainly speaking to the laws of the Old Testament that the Israelites were required to follow. But maybe today, you need to hear that for yourself. Has Sunday morning become an idol in your life? That might be weird to think about. How can worshiping God on Sunday morning be an idol? Well, are you worshiping Sunday morning? Or are you worshiping God? Do you worship here on Sunday mornings and live a totally different life on Monday? Sunday has its place. Just as Paul asked us, we gather in unity. We worship together. That's what we're striving for. I'm going to invite the band to come back up on stage, and we're going to continue to worship with two more songs. As Paul, as Paul asks us to, let's use these songs to teach each other, to learn from them. And actually, we're going to sing a new song uh, this morning. It's called Take You at Your Word. And as the band sings it and you hear the song, really listen to these words. The song is written from the perspectives of us as humans and speaks to God. And the chorus goes like this. I'll take you at your word. If you said it, I'll believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you start it, you'll complete it. I'll take you at your word. I picked this song for my sermon this morning because for me, as someone who's grown up his whole life in the church, it's a little scary to view Sunday morning as a branch because when I was growing up, it was the trunk, it was the roots for a while there. But I have to remember that Jesus is the roots, the foundation of our faith, and I have to let go of our normal Sunday routine in some respects. In a couple Sundays, our, our, our gathering is going to look very different. We're going to have a discovery Bible study where it looks a little bit more like those three-sided meeting rooms. We'll have tables where we can discuss together. But even still, it's a little scary for me to think about changing what I love so much on Sundays. But it's also kind of exciting to know that God is at work and he is moving and we are just chasing after him. My encouragement and question for us today is what does it look like for each of us to be the church, to be the body of Christ, the community of believers, Monday through Saturday? I hope that you join us on Sunday mornings regularly to get refilled and recharged and encouraged, but then go out, go be the church afterward. Don't leave your faith in this room Go be the church. Start with bless rhythms. Begin with prayer. Listen, eat, serve, and tell stories of what God has done. Start a DBS with your friends or neighbors. Again, if you want to learn what that is, Discipleship Pathway is starting in September. Sign up. Talk to Will Walker. I encourage you, what does your faith look like Monday through Saturday? Would you all please pray with me? God, we recognize that you are the one we are chasing after. We are worshiping you here this morning. We are not worshiping this gathering of people, but God, we are striving to seek your face. 
God, would we teach each other? Would we serve one another? Would we have compassion and love one another? Would we be a church of unity? God, would we be a church that serves? Would we be a church that cares for one another? God, we ask that as we continue on into the the next Sunday and the next Sunday after that, God, would you remind us that we are seeking your face first? And God, give us eyes to see opportunities Monday through Saturday of what it looks like to be the church in our regular life. God, would we faithfully, prayerfully ask you to open doors, and God, would we have the boldness to walk through them? God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.